him just to remind us that Jesus is the living word, that he is God's final word, and it is God's word to us. What a blessing that we are able to have the very word of God, the word incarnate, Holding fast in Christ in the face of trials begins with holding fast to God's final word, Jesus. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 as we read of this word. Before we do, let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that we have the privilege of sitting under the proclamation of your word. So many think this is foolish, a monologue, preaching, but yet it is what you ordained, that your word would be preached by your preachers and that your people would be blessed as God the Holy Spirit works. Father, we come and trust you to speak to us today, even through this fallible servant. We trust you, O Holy Spirit, to bring your word to bear upon our hearts that we would be changed, indeed, that we would hold fast in Christ by holding fast to Christ, God's final word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Thus far, the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> what hope do believers have in holding fast in Christ? in the face of trials and even persecution. Some of you may have read of the Open Doors International Annual Report for 2022, which every year ranks the 50 countries that are the worst offenders of persecuting Christians. And taking first place among countries that would persecute Christians in the most extreme way Edging out last year's first place, North Korea, is the country of Afghanistan. And Open Doors writes this, it is impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan. Christians either have to flee the country or they will be killed if a Christian's new faith is discovered. Their family, clan, or tribe must save its honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. This is widely considered to be justice. To hold fast in Christ in Afghanistan today 
means the likelihood of facing extreme persecution by the family, by friends, and by those who are in authorities in the government. The letter to Hebrews, the traditional title of this letter dating back to the second century, was written to exhort Christians to hold fast in Christ in the face of trials and persecution, and it serves as a warning to Christians not to fall away, not to forsake Christ for the more politically correct religion of the day. This exhortation and warning to those in the first century who faced trials, internal and external struggles, and persecutions that tempted the believer to forsake Christ is the same for believers in every age, including our own. It is an exhortation to press on in faith, to stand firm in faith, to hold fast in Christ. It is an encouraging and hopeful message because it begins with God telling us what we need first and foremost to hold fast and to press on in faith. And what we need most and what we need first and foremost is his final word, Jesus. And so today we begin this new sermon series, Hebrews, Hold Fast in Christ. And we will give just a brief overview of the message of Hebrews and then consider God's earlier word and God's final word, Jesus. So God's overall message in, in Hebrews, really to understand this overall message in Hebrews, we need to understand a little bit about the author, a little bit about the recipients, and a little bit about the historical context of this letter being written. I mean, m most messages that we hear have a context to them. And we can be very puzzled if we don't understand the context of the message that we hear. So what is the context then of Hebrews? So who wrote the book? Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila, and the list goes on. We simply do not know. Though much of the content is consistent with what Paul might have said had he written the book based on his other uh, writings, but Paul, I believe, is not likely the author. The Greek that is used in the letter to the Hebrews is of a higher style than the more common Greek form that Paul used in, in his letter. Paul consistently identified himself as an apostle, and we find the author of Hebrews never making that claim. And then in chapter 2 and verse 3, uh, the author affirms that he heard the message from those who heard it firsthand. And certainly that would not point to Paul 
as Paul is an eyewitness in the sense that he encountered the risen Christ on Damascus Road. F.F. Bruce, the, the great New Testament scholar, suggests we view the author as a second-generation Christian that was well-versed in the study of the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Greek translation of the Old Testament Scriptures seems to be the source of many of the Old Testament passages referenced in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews. Richard Phillips uh, views the, the, the author as an apostolic figure who was a colleague of the Apostle Paul. Though we are not sure who the author was, we can rest in the fact that God knows who the author was, <laughs> as the ancient church father Origen said. And we can also rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit did not reveal the author to us, but it is the very word of God. So who were the original recipients? To whom did this author write this letter? The author, again, the book does not specify who the recipients of the letter are, but it definitely is an exhortation and a warning to hold fast in the faith and not apostatize. The letter was most likely written before AD 70, and many of you know that AD 70 is a significant date in the early church. Well, that was the date when Rome, uh, the Roman general Titus destroyed the temple. And so Hebrews, as we'll learn, is, is just full of, of, of temple worship, and the temple is very much central to the content of Hebrews, but there's no mention of the temple being destroyed. The content of Hebrews suggests that it was written to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted. And we know that in AD 49, Emperor Claudius began persecuting Jew uh, Jewish Christians in Rome. And we also know that in the mid-60s, Emperor Nero had very extreme persecution of Christians. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 4, it gives a little bit of a clue that might help us with a range of dating for the letter. The verse tells us that the recipients of Hebrews had not yet suffered to the shedding of blood. Yes, they were being persecuted, but they had not yet been put to death. And so they were being persecuted. That might be explained by Claudius's persecution that began in AD 49. But if we take the not yet to the shedding of blood referencing Nero's persecution in the mid-60s, around AD 65, then we can have a date range of the writing of Hebrews after AD 49 and before Nero in AD 65. Now, why is all of this important? Because the message of Hebrews is very much in the context of persecution. And to, to properly work through the book of Hebrews, we have to understand that it is an exhortation to Christians who are struggling, who are facing persecution, and 
if our dating scheme is correct, will face extreme persecution under Nero and we'll see the temple destroyed in A.D. 70. And this author is saying, brothers and sisters, hold fast in Christ. And he warns them not to fall away and to revert back to a more politically correct government-sanctioned religion and thus forsake Christ. One commentator said that we, we should take this book of Hebrews not so much as a theological treatise like Romans. Now, there is rich theology in the book of Hebrews. In fact, it starts with God spoke. That is a theological, a rich theological statement. He said we should take this more as a pastor who is separated from his congregation, exhorting his congregation who are under persecution to persevere and to hold fast to Christ and to be warned not to forsake the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in chapter 13, verse 22, the author says that this letter is my word of exhortation. And so as we come to this, the study of Hebrews, it's dealing with difficult things it could easily be viewed as a real downer. But I want to tell you, this is one of the most encouraging and hopeful books in the Bible. Because it says, Jesus is supreme, and you are Jesus' disciples, and he is holding you safe irrespective of the severity of the persecution. Trust him. Hold fast to him. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 is a verse that I believe so beautifully helps us understand what Hebrews is all about. The verse reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. See the word hope there? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And listen to this. For he who promised is faithful. You see the hope? Do you see the encouragement? Even in a very serious situation as persecution and trial and struggle, we have hope because the object of our hope is faithful. And we will hold fast because he holds us fast in faith. Hebrews could be written today for believers facing extreme persecution in countries like Afghanistan. And Hebrews could be written today for you and me. Encouraging us, exhorting us, warning us, hold fast. Do not forsake Christ especially in the midst of the trials that you face today. 
So here's my point. God's message in Hebrews to the original hearers is God's message to us today. Hold fast in Christ. Do not forsake Christ. For he is faithful. Second, God's revealed word. You and I typically begin a, a, a correspondence with, with some kind of a greeting, and that's true with most, the vast majority of the epistles in the Bible. The, the author states, I am so-and-so, and may give a statement about why he's writing or identifying the recipients, and there's usually some form of grace and peace, especially true with the, the Apostle Paul. But here in Hebrews, there's none of that. It just starts right out with God spoke. Verse 1, God revealed his absolute, objective, transcendent word and truth, his authoritative word. Rick Phillips makes the, the point in his commentary on Hebrews that, that we live in, in a relativistic age. Does anyone doubt that? And he said, how, how important is all of us in this relativistic age to be reminded to hear this opening of Hebrews, God spoke. God revealed himself in natural revelation. Just read Psalm 19 and other passages. But God also revealed himself in special revelation. God spoke the Bible. Here's an amazing reality of God speaking. The scriptures tell us that God is incomprehensible. We will never, ever know any, everything about God. But given that, we can know him. He has revealed what he wants us to know about him. We can even know ourselves. He has revealed what he wants us to know about mankind. And we can know how to be saved. He has revealed exactly what we need to know to be saved. It is written down in the Bible. God spoke. And God spoke objective truth, absolute truth. The Bible is our fixed point. As we, have, as we just sang, it being a compass to guide us. It is our north star. It is our true and magnetic north that guides us that is a reference point that is fixed. God spoke through certain men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke his inspired word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. I mean, Hebrews begins with the most profound reality, the most profound truth that we could ever hear. And that is, God spoke. God revealed his word. God declared what is absolutely true. And the first step in holding fast in Christ. And by the way, every one of us here today that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to hold fast in Christ, to be faithful. And the first 
step in holding fast in Christ is affirming and embracing God spoke. I believe our greatest challenge in holding fast in Christ today is to submit wholly to the very word of God. The original hearers of Hebrews and every believer after them, including those in Afghanistan and including all of us here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, first and foremost, we need to hold fast in Christ by holding fast to God's final word by Christ. Second, God, or third actually, God spoke earlier by the prophets and fully and finally by his son. You know, as, as parents, and I've, I've certainly said this with regards to my children, maybe you have, I, I suppose you have, as a parent might say to a child, this is the last time I am telling you Although not exactly like this, Hebrews begins with God saying, this is my final word (laughs) to you, mankind. Verses 1 through 2. Long ago and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's, It's interesting what the author does here. He contrasts. God spoke long ago with God spoke in these last days. And he contrasted God spoke to our fathers with God spoke to us. And then he contrasts God spoke by the prophets, plural, with God spoke by his son, singular. God's word long ago and God's word to our fathers obviously refers to the Old Testament scriptures. Listen, we, the Old Testament scriptures is part of God's revealed word. It is truth. God spoke it many times by many writers, Moses, David, Isaiah, for example. He spoke in many ways, historical, prophetical, wisdom literature. Uh, The many Old Testament writers in the many ways and times in which they wrote all expressed the same theme. Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadowed what was to come and promised Messiah promised Jesus to come. Think of the Old Testament as a bud that promises a beautiful flower when it opens. And that bud opening is Jesus coming, inaugurating the last days, the New Testament era. The really in in reality, the day in which we live now. The last days, this era that was inaugurated by Christ, God spoke his full and final word to us 
not in many ways, but one way, not through many people at different times, but in one person, in one time, Jesus. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, talking about the Word being God, the Word being incarnate. The Word by Christ needs no additional revelation. God spoke all He intended to reveal from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, verse 21. While that earlier word by the prophets was foreshadowing and promising His word in the last days, His final word by Jesus is fulfillment. He has said all that He is going to say. God's word by His Son fulfills all those Old Testament prophecies and shadows and promises of which He was the subject. And in these last days, He comes as the final revelation. The writer establishes God's word by His Son being His full and final word, being His supreme word by giving us a sevenfold affirmation of the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the fact that Christ is qualified to be the final word. He is the, in verses uh, 2 and 3, he is the heir of all things. He owns it all. He is the one through whom all was created. He created all. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He came and shone forth the glory of God and does so today. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the same divine essence of the Godhead. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the cosmic glue, as we read in Colossians, that holds everything together. The one who made purification for sins, he is our Savior. Reference to the atonement. He who sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Carl read from Psalm 110 that reminds us not only of Christ's priestly work, but also of his kingship. And, and, and today he's reigning enthroned at the right hand of the Father and will come again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to consummate all of history. I mean, as, as we consider these qualifications of Christ here in these opening verses of, of Hebrews, we must see Christ the mediator in his three offices being declared. He is the prophet through whom God speaks his final, final and full word. He is the prophet that was promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He is the priest whose once-for-all sacrifice cleansed God's people from sin. And he is the king who is enthroned in heaven. In these opening verses, the greatness of the Son is declared. You're struggling today with holding fast in Christ. Hebrews would exhort you to hold fast 
to Jesus who is greater, the greatest, who is better, who is supreme, who is over all. Think with me about our our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today. Holding fast to them means likely persecution and death. Would these not be precious words to hear? That your ability to hold fast is not because of your power, but is because of the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of the Son. We will see Christ's superiority reflected in one word throughout the letter. In fact, this one word, this one little word is used 13 times in in Hebrews. And here's the one little word. Ready? Better. Better. What the opening verses of Hebrews says is that Jesus, the final word, is better than the earlier word. Not saying the earlier word is not God's word. But it is saying the final word is better. It is the full word, the final word. It is the fulfillment of all that the earlier word said. And we'll look next week, look at verse 4, that Jesus is better than the angels. We'll see that Jesus is better than the human great high priest. Jesus is better than the physical temple. Jesus is better. Listen, brothers and sisters, we hold fast because we have he who is better. And that should encourage us when we face trials from within. That should encourage, and when I say trials from within, sometimes I think our greatest struggle is with our own sinful hearts. The greatest challenge we have is forsaking Christ, not because we're being pressured to conform to some governmental regulation, but because of our own sinful hearts. So our hope dealing with these internal struggles, our hope dealing dealing with opposition coming from without, our hope in the midst of trials and persecution is because Jesus is better. And here the writer is saying, hold fast by holding fast to him. Faith. What the writer of Hebrews does for us and how he crafted this letter under the inspiration of the Spirit, the way in which he began uniquely by not using a greeting, grace and peace, but by beginning with God spoke is to show us holding fast means holding fast to God's final word, his son, Jesus. That is our first, and that is our first and foremost thing we must do to hold fast, to submit ourselves to God's final word. What hope do believers have holding fast in the midst of trials and even facing persecution? Michael Card wrote a wonderful song, Christian 
musician, and he wrote this song, The Final Word. Here's the refrain. He spoke the incarnation, and then so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. Spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine, to make that way divine mine. Holding fast in Christ in the face of trials begins with holding fast to God's final word, Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have provided for us the final, your final word as the foundation for us holding fast. Father, we admit that we need Jesus. And so, Father, bless us with holding fast in Christ. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.